Welcome along to the weekend edition of Red Star Radio. Yes, it is us. We are back. And one of our number has barely survived a uh, scrape with the great travelling experience. Uh, travelling under COVID-19 restrictions, travelling undercover, travelling under several different identities. Layla, how did you survive <laughs> transiting through the great Canadian airport experience? Yeah, so we're giving you a look, a very rare look behind the... Uh the iron curtain i guess of podcasting um yes and uh yeah so i i did a trip recently to the uk um and that's why the sound quality of our last two shows wasn't that great because we were actually recording it live um yeah uh, the sound quality was poorer when we were in the same room that's <laughs> defies belief but there you go yeah um so i just wanted to share with people like my experience going through the restrictions and like my impression of what the the various legal barriers actually end up being in actuality so there's two sides of this there's going into the uk and there's also going back into canada um so going into the uk i was extremely nervous because um so i went to the uk because i wanted to do a hike i wanted to do the west highland way which i did um and so i got to learn a lot about the uk's like political structure and the reason why I landed in Manchester, amongst other reasons, is because in Scotland, the different, like, what you call nations have different criteria as to what the border requirements are. And Scotland... In like, theory. <laughs> in theory. So in Scotland, the whole idea was the uh, the requirements are you have to quarantine for 14 days. Um, you have to buy this quarantine package, which comes up to 300 Canadian dollars, 140 pounds, um, and uh, you don't have any, uh, like, there's no there's no uh, option to leave early. Whereas in England, you um, it's a lot cheaper. You just have to buy, like, a couple of COVID-19 tests. Um, and then you only have to quarantine for five days. And you could take a test on day five and do a test and release scheme. So I was really nervous. I was kind of convinced that I would be rejected at the border. Um, even though I took, so I, I followed the requirements going in. Um, I took the COVID-19 test in Canada, and then I did their um, passenger locator form, which I gave honest information on. And yeah, I had like booked like five days basically in Manchester. Um, and yeah, so I actually, interestingly, it was super easy to get through the border. They didn't even check any of my documentation at all. <laughs> and like they basically just like got me to scan my passport and um, in this electronic scanning system and I was let right through. Um, and By so, the way, that's the same electronic scanning system they've had in place for over a decade. Yeah, yeah. And it was really funny because um, on the way there, the different flight operators would check your documentation. So they would check, like I had just like a stack of papers with my, what the UK calls a passenger locator form and my COVID-19 test. And I think those were the only two things I needed. Oh yes, and also the receipt for the COVID-19 test that I had to buy um, to get into the country. But they would just kind of glance through it. They'd be like, okay, do you have this? Do you have this? Like they would never, like they didn't check the authenticity of any of these documents at all. I could have very easily forged all of them. I didn't, but like I very easily forged my COVID-19 test, for instance, and they would have never known. Like it was, it was a very like 
it was a very kind of um, a non-strict process. So anyways, when I got to the UK, then I got really nervous. I was like, okay, like these guys are going to come check on me to see if I'm quarantining. And if they find that I'm not quarantining, the, the, so the, the fines in the UK for um, breaking quarantine early is like it starts at 200 pounds a day and then it goes up to like a thousand pounds. So when all is said is done, like I, I'm not really certain how much of an impact that would have had on me as a foreigner. I don't know what the UK's power would have been to enforce me paying that fine since I'm not a citizen of the UK. Nonetheless, uh, absolutely nothing, <laughs> by the way. Uh, nonetheless, it's still unpleasant to think that you might get an expensive fine. Um, so the day one, uh, to describe the process to anyone who's thinking about going while the restrictions are still in place for, um, for I'm also non-vaccinated, by the way. That's another uh, element of this. Um, I don't have one vaccination. I have none. Um, and I will not be getting the vaccination. Because not getting the vaccination <laughs> and getting the vaccination basically is the, the same thing. Well, as far as we know, it is because there's no good clinical data that shows that the vaccine has benefit. Anyways, we can get into this another day. But um, I got the first day I got a call from someone and they asked to see me. Um, to, for me to come down where the, the the like the place where I was staying to come down and like show me their pass my passport and to prove that I was actually staying there. They called me in the morning, and I was not in my uh, room. <laughs> I just told them I was dropping off a uh, my COVID nineteen test. So you have to take in the UK you have to take one test on or before day two when you arrive, and then another test on day eight. And then if you want to do the test and release scheme, you could take one on day five. Um, and so I just told them I was out and they were like, oh, OK. <laughs> and so uh, they're like, OK, well, when are you going to be back? And then I was like, oh, uh, I don't know, five minutes, 10 minutes. I'm not sure. <laughs> and they're like, OK, well, we're going to come back later. So then I get back to my room actually in just like five minutes. And um, I called them. I actually called the person back, and I'm like, "Hey, I'm here now. Do you want to come check on me?" And the guy's like, "No, I'll come back later." And they never called me back. I no <laughs> no one ever <laughs> no one ever came to my hotel to actually check on me. What did happen every day though was that the test and trace people that's um, run by the UK, which is like an NHS service, where they I don't know. I guess the primary pur purpose is to is say you have a positive uh, COVID-19 test. It's to call everyone that you've interacted with to tell them that they need to quarantine and to check that people are quarantining. I did get a call from them every single day. But from reading forums and stuff, I knew that it would be at the same time. And they don't, they just, they, you know, it's like a two minute call. They just ask you if you're quarantining. They ask you if you got in the results from your negative tests. And so, I don't know, it's just to say that, like, um, I was extremely nervous and it actually turned out to be a huge joke, very easily to get around. Um, there basically no reinforcement. Um, if the only thing so I think people need to understand as I'm going through these details, I'm, pr I'm trying not, not to get into too many of the gritty details, but essentially, like when it comes to these the reinforcement of these things, um, the missing link is the actual enforcement. OK, so. In most liberal states, and I can't think of one, public health agencies of various kinds cannot actually enforce the laws, the public health laws that are in place. They need to refer your case to the police, whether it's the local police or the provincial or national police, and then they have to go and enforce 
whatever punishment it is, whether it's jail time, whether it's a fine. And so that missing link is really where the weakness of the system lies. Because um, it's like not all the the crown, for instance, in the UK or in Canada are not going to find it that it's worth their while to pursue a case or even give a fine and have to deal with a headache around that. And so like it, it, it's a lot of it is just fear mongering and a lot of it is just making you feel like you might get in trouble. And so to avoid getting in trouble, you should follow the rules. But actually, no one's watching you. No one's tracking where you're going. No one's actually seriously checking up on you either. Um, so it is I found in the UK it was very much just like game of smoke and mirrors. Yeah, well, that's literally the entire government um, public sector um, is a lot of it is smoke and mirrors, especially when it comes to enforcement of this. And like the you could tell like fairly early on that it was going to be smoke and mirrors because one of the first things they did was they uh, outsourced the uh, test and trace system. Um, to some private company or another, they outsourced as much of that in uh, like the actual um, work as they possibly could to outsourcing companies that are very connected to the ruling Conservative Party that always deliver their contracts as cheaply and as uh, in a corner cutting fashion as possible. So this was always going to be a joke. And yeah. it was always going to be something that was just a giant box ticking exercise. So like the companies <laughs> could, could then say, well, we rang 200,000 people last week and we <laughs> yeah. said, are you currently dying of COVID out on the street? And they all said no. <laughs> Job done. Can we have another two, 20 million pounds, please? Yeah, it very much is just a money making scheme. My impression, like, fo- so... Uh, everyone who's going into the UK must buy. You will not be allowed into the UK unless you're a citizen of the UK. If you're a foreigner, you won't be allowed. You'll be stopped at the border, allegedly, uh, if you do not buy a couple of COVID-19 tests. So I did buy those tests. Not only they arrived like five days late. (laughs) Efficiency. Yeah. And then when I took them, the results came in like, after I'd left the country. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so, like, it's totally not, useless. Yeah, it, totally useless. And, like, it's um, for people who are actually trying to, you know, uh, I mean, I, I, I didn't follow the rules and, you know, come get me, UK police. Come get me here again. <laughs> <laughs> they, they can't get people. The Greater Manchester police couldn't be bothered to go out vaguely outside of the city center limits. They're not going to chase you down in Canada. <laughs> Well, the thing is, these rules don't make sense anyways, okay? Like, just on their premise. Like, asymptomatic people cannot spread a disease that is a respiratory disease, like COVID-19. So this whole thing is premised on the idea that you can spread a disease without having symptoms. I think the only guideline that would kind of make sense to me would be if you have symptoms, you should isolate yourself. And, you know, I guess having a negative test plus uh, no symptoms would be kind of a a full uh, confirmation that you did not have COVID-19 and you weren't able to spread it. Uh, but, I mean, furthermore, as we know, COVID-19 is not, it's just the flu. Um, and so it's very debatable that any kind of enforcement of that guideline should be warranted. I think it is a good guideline to give people, but to encumber, encumber people's freedom of movement and association on the basis of a bad flu, I don't, you know, I, I think we're going to be finding a lot of like courts throughout the world. Like today, the Spanish highest 
this court said that the the lockdowns were unconstitutional. I think we'll be finding more and more liberal democratic nations find the same because there's just not enough um, reason. Like there's not enough. Uh, like it just it's not, it's not enough. Like you need like a a serious reason why you need to infringe on, upon people's like funded foundational liberal rights, right? Even under capitalism, like you, you kind of need, at least in theory, obviously not in practice, but in theory, you do need that in any case. So coming back to Canada though, I was, uh, I was not nervous about that. Cause I was like, I'm a citizen. They can't bar me from entering Canada. Um, so that's no problem. One thing that Canada has, which stands out amongst other um, liberal democratic nations at this point in the pandemic is that every single person, including citizens, except if you're double vaxxed with one of the three approved vaccines that we that they have, like AstraZeneca, Pfizer and uh, Johnson and Johnson, I think is the other one. You have to quarantine for three days in a isolation quarantine hotel that you have to pay for $2,000 while you await a negative test that you take have to take at the airport, even though you've, you have to present a negative test to get onto the plane to get into Canada, which I did. So I was definitely not going to do that. And um, I had made up my mind. I decided to land in, in Montreal airport uh, because I've, family here and stuff um, as well, but also because I read on the internet that the um, prosecutor in Quebec hadn't given out any tickets. So I thought that that it was a good, it was a good move. Like in Toronto, Pearson Airport and Vancouver. So Canada only accepts international travel, travelers into the, into the four major airports in, in right now. They've blocked international flights from entering into any other airport except for Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal and Calgary. Um, and so no viol- no fines or tickets or any kind of um, enforcement has been issued at Calgary and Quebec. Calgary is because they didn't sign on to the Contraventions Act, which um, gives the enforcement powers under the Quarantine Act, which is where the isolation, isolation hotels uh, in, uh, law is, is written. Uh, Montreal, uh, Quebec, I'm not really sure why they're not enforcing the Quarantine Act. They have signed on to the Contraventions Act. Um, they just haven't given any tickets. And I guess we'll see if I do get one. But in any case, I go into the airport. And the first thing they ask me to do is to, much like the UK has, they have an Arrive Can app where you have to give your information, where you're staying, your number, and blah, blah, blah. So I didn't fill out the app, um, partially because my phone got broken but also partially because I wasn't going to fill it out. Um, so then I go and I thought that that would be the first big challenge. I thought that would be the first thing they were just going to try to find me for. So the border agent is like, okay, did you use the app? And I was like, no, I didn't. And I was ready to, ready to list out my charter, my charter rights. And he was like, <laughs> okay, no problem. Can you just fill out this piece of paper? So the piece of paper, you fill it with, with pencil. And um, I was like, okay, what's the fine for me not filling out the, this paper? And then the guy was like, well, we don't give out the fines. So the border agents don't give out the fines. Public Health Agency Canada gives out, gives out the fines. So that is the federal level uh, public health agency that we have here run by a Dr. Tam, who's a psycho. Um, so I, I was like, okay, whatever, I'll just fill it out. I filled it out completely honestly. Um, with all my information and so the next step was me going to the to uh to customs so to just in case i had anything to declare type thing so i go up and uh, on the paper i said i said that i would not be quarantining in the i would not be going to the hotel and the border agent was like okay 
Like, are you going to go to this hotel, to the quarantine hotel? Are you going to book it out? And I was like, no, I'm not going to. And then he looks at me. He's like, why? And I'm like, well, my phone is broken and I don't want to stay somewhere where I can't contact my family and my friends. And um, I don't feel safe going to the quarantine hotels. And in fact, there was a Canadian woman who was raped in one of these quarantine hotels. And so I think I had, you know, I, I think everyone has reason for concern of they're being kept in a place that they don't have access to the, like, allegedly don't have access to the outside world to, uh, through. Um, and so um, he was like, okay, are you aware of the fine? So the fine in Canada, if you refuse to go into the quarantine hotel is 3000 to $5,000. And so I told him, yeah, I am aware of the fine. So he's like, okay. <laughs> so he just lets me through customs. Um, and then he directs me towards what was a series of public health agency people. So there wasn't any actual police, no actual enforcement that I was forced to encounter. Um, and each of these public health agency people, most of whom were college age people who were obviously doing this as like a summer job, looks good on their resume, whatever, um, just kept on asking me the same set of questions. Like, do you have your vaccines? Will you book this hotel? Why aren't you booking this hotel? Okay, well, let's go to let's send you to this person. So they would all just try to get me. They're all trying to coerce me into booking this hotel. And each time I'd be like, I'm not booking this hotel. Give me the fine and let me go on my way. And none of them, they would just send me to the next person because they don't actually have Public Health Agency Canada doesn't have the power to enforce these fines. They need to get the police to do it. And there was no police around on at Montreal Airport, at least. There are some in, in Toronto and many people not, you know, I, I don't think everyone who's refused the hotels and in, getting into Toronto has gotten the fine. But some people have gotten ridden up for like five or six thousand dollars for refusing the quarantine hotels, which are being challenged now in the courts. And so eventually I was like, listen, um, you know, the, the, finally I was met with like a, uh, the final step. I was made to wait in like this area Um you know, which obviously is completely voluntary for people who are listening in Canada. You don't have the right. No one has the right to detain you unless they are a police person. And the police person only has the right to detain you if you are being arrested or being charged with something. So if a police person is asking you to stay somewhere, ask them, am I being detained? Am I being arrested? If they say no, then you you go on your merry way. Like they need to actually charge you with something to to detain you. So um this woman, this young woman comes up to me who's younger than me. And then she says, you know, are you going to book these hotels? Like, I've, I, this question has been asked me like 20 times at this point. And I was like, no, I'm not booking your quarantine hotels. I'm not doing it. I mean, at that point, I started shouting about my charter rights. I am a Canadian citizen. I have the right to enter and leave this country at will. You have no right to detain me. You're not a policewoman. Um, I am here voluntarily to give you information so I can more easily get through this process. And then she's like, okay, well, do you have your vaccines? And at this point, I wanted to just see what they would say if I just told them yes. So I was like, yes, I do have my vaccines. And then she was like, oh, where's the proof? I'm like, okay, actually, I don't have my vaccines. <laughs> I don't have any when, proof. When, he, when, you, when he asked me if I had them, I actually thought you said, do you not have them? Yeah, sorry, sorry. I misunderstood. You know, I don't speak French all the time. Like, uh, you, you, I, I missed you. Um, so, like... Um, at that point, um, she was like, okay. She was like, well, are you going to book the quarantine hotels? And I'm like, listen, I'm not going to book these quarantine hotels. I already told you I'm not going to do it. I've told five, like 20 people I'm not going to do it. You're not going to change my mind at this point. And then she's like, okay, well, all right, give me your address and we're going to mail you the fine. So I gave her my real address and she asked me for ID. And unfortunately, my, my wallet truly was stolen in Glasgow. 
uh, in Scotland. And so I didn't have any ID on me except for my passport. And, and then she was like, okay, well, do you have like an Amazon receipt or something of that nature? And I'm like, no, I don't. I freaking don't. Like, stop. And I told her again, you actually don't have the right to detain me. You're not a police person. And then she's like, well, I could call the police. And I was like, listen, uh, I don't want to get the police involved in this, but I'm telling you right now that I'm here voluntarily. And this is the truth of the issue. I got my wallet stolen. I don't have ID. That's my real address. Get my information to the system. Mail me my fine and I'll be on my merry way. And so she did that. And finally, so she gave me back my my papers and I was forced. I well, not forced. I, I took a final um, COVID-19 test, which was negative um, at the airport. And then I was gone. So it took like two hours to go through the whole process, uh, which is probably a little longer than usual. Like usually you could get out of the airport maybe like under an hour. Right. So it's just mm. to say that, I mean, I don't know if they'll mail me a fine. Um, I'm still waiting to see. Uh, you know, if you if you want to help me stand for my liberal rights, uh, please Patreon to this podcast so that I can <laughs> <laughs> pay off this five thousand allegedly five thousand dollar fine. I don't think that they will. Um, no one in uh, ha- that has landed in Quebec has gotten uh, fined for not going to the quarantine hotel. I don't know why they would start now. Uh, they might refer me to the Ontario police and then get them to do it, but I I, I think it's very unlikely. I'll report back if I do get it. Um, but just to say, like, I think people, you know, I, I think I'm I have a job like um, I, you know, getting a five thousand dollar fine would be awful. It would suck to have to pay it off, but I could pay it off. It wouldn't be something that'd be unattainable to me if I just worked for a few months. It'd be fine. So I do have kind of that privilege. Um but nonetheless, I do think it's important for people to fight for their liberal rights. I do think it's important to stand for them and to know what they are. And I think for Canadians, like a lot of this stuff is just it's literally just fear mongering. The government um, doesn't have an interest or the capability to actually enforce these laws in any significant sense. I think when people do get fined and they do end up, um, you know, are, are, are you getting some other kind of enforcement for the for the, the under, that uh, for contraventions to the Quarantine Act? It's because they make a, a big show out of it. Like so they get, you know, a huge party going or a lot of people come. So I think they only enforce it if you're making like a big uh, show out of it. So they, they need to set an example. But broadly speaking, I really don't think that most of these laws are enforced and nor should they be they make no sense at all they are not they are not based on science they are completely unconstitutional even though we did have a federal court recently that ruled that the quarantine hotels were constitutional but i think eventually it will be found unconstitutional by the supreme court when it gets there but um like when it's okay for the courts to rule against it properly uh right now it's not they're not there yet um and yeah, like people have rights and you have rights as a citizen of a state and you should stand for them. And like, um, don't let people, this, these like Looney Tunes governments scare you with like threats. Like essentially, I think that the in the airport, they were just counting on me feeling coerced and just like buckling to the pressure and booking these quarantine hotels. So when I said no, they didn't really have any other options. The only option mm. they would have had was to call the police and get the and try to get the police to find me. But if the Sûreté de Québec isn't doing it, which they don't seem to be doing it for some reason, I don't know why. They haven't. The prosecutor in Quebec hasn't actually given out any any fines yet, as far as I was able to tell. Maybe I'll be the first. Who knows? But um, yeah, like you, you know, 
I, I really honestly think like, people shouldn't like stand for this bullshit. Um, yeah, if you get a fine, you should contest it. Um, a lot of the times, the, the a lot of fines that the Crown has given out in Canada have just been thrown out or just been like, you know, annulled because it's just not worth the Crown's t- effort to pursue, you know, to, to pursue a fine for someone breaking quarantine or going to see friends or whatever it's just not worth their time it's not worth their effort because they have so much work to do and they're already under-resourced um yeah so that's my story (laughs) so it's bullshit folks just as we told you from the start the um just on the on the British side of it, you can tell just how unserious all of this is by the fact that they um, they were just handing out contracts to the same same corrupt networks they always do, which have been proven to be companies that are completely ineffectual and don't do anything that they're actually contracted to do. And that's been proven over and over again. Companies like Serco, companies like G4S, and a lot of the others involved in this, like these aren't people who you can seriously rely on to track down what is supposedly uh, the the black plague meets you know the, the meets uh, chemically engineered anthrax. This is not a serious thing. No, it's not a serious thing, and I don't think I. My opinion is that you have no ethical or moral or like other like there's no compulsion for you to follow laws that don't make any sense. And then, well, upon- and also that it's clear that the people in charge don't take seriously. And it's exactly even more so that it, in Canada we had like dozens of MPs that took holidays to the Caribbean and Hawaii and stuff during Christmas of 2020, all the while telling people to stay to not even see their friends and family that are in the country during Christmas. These people are full of shit. They are full of shit. They don't deserve any respect or anyone following their stupid protocols that make zero sense that make that have zero scientific basis um and um actually yeah like i don't think that i actually do care for the fact that my liberal rights in canada have been infringed upon i don't think it's okay i don't think it's as we all should because god knows it took long enough uh, workers to actually struggle to get the liberal rights schemes liberal right liberal rights actually extended to cover the working class yeah that took years of struggle and death and exile so we should respect that it's not some sort of bourgeois distraction or petty bourgeois tendency to want to defend your basic democratic rights it's it's essential it's what workers have struggled for for hundreds of years the government has presented absolutely no evidence for instance that the quarantine hotels do anything to reduce what they're saying it will reduce which is the number of covid-19 cases so they're saying that they can infringe upon a foundational right which is the freedom of movement the freedom to leave and enter one's own nation state they can do that with no reason with no justification whatsoever so if you grant them that they can do it at any point and i think that's not acceptable like like people used to not actually be, have freedom of movement you were you were you were bound to the land as a serf right for instance so like, at least, you know, I, I'm going to take every freedom I have as a wage laborer um, under capitalism and with no apologies. And I don't think anyone sh- like they, what, what's happened in this lockdown is that regular things that were never crimes that were like that are not crimes that are not immoral or bad in any sense, like seeing one's friends and family going on a trip, whatever. 
Like, these are not crimes. They've been made into crimes for no reason. So, yeah, I just, I, I really do take issues, issue with it. And I think they should be, like, obviously not everyone's um, able to do that. Um, and, you know, I am I am taking a bit of a risk here. I, I don't think it's a huge risk, but <laughs> I think I'm taking a bit of risk and we'll see if I do get fined in the end. But um, the thing is, like, if no one's going to stand for these things, like, someone needs to stand for them. And I think it's unfortunate that people are so isolated and alienated that we can't stand against them together. And it really does come down to, like, individuals just, like, saying no. But someone has to say no. And people have been saying no in Canada. Several people have, have done it. And um, I think that's worthwhile. And, and I just want to say people shouldn't have to be afraid of doing things that are not crimes, that are not harmful to, like, you shouldn't be made to feel afraid. You have every right to live a normal life, a normal human existence and seeing where you can move around and see one's friends and family and all these regular things and access public goods and services. These are not crimes. They are birthrights, in fact. Well, it certainly should be. And also, like, as we get towards what's supposedly uh, in four days from now, allegedly they're going to be, like, fully opening up the country again. But every time, like, we go towards this, of course, all those with a uh, the sort of either a, an economic or a bureaucratic or a political interest in like keeping and sustaining the COVID rules that we've got in place at the moment immediately go into hysterical overdrive mode describing the horrors that will in, be incurred when uh, supposedly we open up fully again but I mean, you were here uh, the other week. Um, it, the you can see in the streets of like uh, where I live in Manchester, the, a lot of fit stuff is almost fully open as it is, and the the measures that are in place, like the ridiculous track and trace app, which you can by the way easily avoid, are either easily avoidable or are negated fairly easily, and it's it the the my like. Um, well, I have many objections, but one of the biggest ones is that this whole thing is just a gigantic f piece of theatrics now. Yes. All these people are demanding is that the illusions are sustained because it's yes. always been an illusion. Like there's never, there's barely been any actual restriction on wealthy people traveling during this whole last 16 months. And that's been the case running all the way through. They talked about maybe putting some restrictions on during the like the December lockdown, but they backed off it pretty quickly because rich people complained. So this is the farce that they have created for themselves. They created this uh, COVID narrative for reasons which we've explained before. And now they're trying to let this thing down. But the bureaucracies and their friends in the media, and by the way, the institutional fucking left and trade union leaders are all virtue signaling over this, proclaiming they're going to keep their masks on. Masks don't do shit. It's now provable on many different <laughs> levels that they don't do shit because like there's different countries which didn't mandate masks which have done better in terms of numbers than countries that did and yet still we get this ridiculous performance because like it's been chosen by some utterly some the, the fucking mannequins that make up the labor left are all there with their masks on going boris johnson's very dangerous and it's like well maybe but not because of this and it's all just a narrative piece of narrative management. And yeah. when we do, if we do get to now the nineteenth, and the country is finally unlo unlocked for good, even though in reality it has been for months already for most people, then this, then these stories will die off. Like we got the. Re 
ridiculous like fucking eunuch that runs Wales apparently Mark Drakeford coming out and saying oh well you know we better check for you better keep your mask on if you're coming over the border from the from England into Wales <laughs> it's like what the fuck are you gonna do Mark are you gonna go on the train put and tell the guards to tell everybody to put a mask on as soon as you go past the border as soon as you go and get get the train goes past like Craven Arms on the Welsh border what everybody the, the, the Welsh cops are gonna come on the train and put everybody put everybody his mask on of course they're not <laughs> of course they're not the unions yeah. aren't going to advise their guard their members who are like uh, guards on the trains to go and get in altercations with people over mask wearing they're not going to do that it's ridiculous and it just shows like the people who run britain now i mean we've always had some pretty low rent motherfuckers running this country but like these people like mark drakeford is a moron he's pond life nicola sturgeon is an even bigger moron boris johnson i you know there's a lot wrong with him but he may i fault him mainly for being a lazy good-for-nothing piece of shit who looked for an easy answer and then that all other other absolute brain dead neil ferguson handed him an easy answer and that's how we ended up in this absolute fucking circus and the circus will continue because all these morons in the bureaucracy have built little empires and careers for themselves over the last year by sticking the label covid on anything they wanted to do oh and by the way a lot of these outsourced contractors the useless motherfuckers that run the test and trace system have made fortunes off of this shit so would like to keep it going for a little while longer meanwhile of course the actual health service gets starved of resources more bits of it get privatized and everybody says clap for the nhs while yeah. it continues yeah. to get fucking dismantled in the way it has been by the way for 25 years with labor and conservative equally guilty of actually dismantling this shit so it's, this has been a great exercise in enrichment and bullshitting and carrying on the destructive agendas they had anyway which by the way now all the unions and the left are suddenly turned around and going oh boris is still cutting the health service whilst covid going on whilst covid's going on why is he doing that and it's like, yeah, because it changed nothing. It changed no no agenda of the ruling class got shifted at all by this, despite the absolute brain-dead fucking mannequins on the British left thinking this was going to be the thing that changed public sector investment. No, it's changed nothing. It will change nothing. We'll come out the other end of this, and Britain will look roughly the same as it did going into it. And then 18 months from now, all the idiots in the petty bourgeoisie will turn around and go, huh, what happened with COVID? Maybe that was a bit extreme. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, like, this is a dog and pony show. Um, and and it's incidentally oppressive, really. Like, so some people do get caught on the margins and they get fined. And I, in some really, like, uh, some backward, like, authoritarian countries, like the really, like Singapore, for instance, people have gotten jailed actually jailed for um, breaking the quarantine that's something I wouldn't if if the UK actually jailed people if that was one of the um, consequences of breaking the quarantine I wouldn't have gone to the UK but the only consequence was a fine and yeah <laughs> well the the government the here like the many prime ministers have wanted to be Singapore but they're not efficient enough to do it yeah exactly um I, I think there's an element of of just the deterioration of the state apparatus to actually enforce to to actualize its authoritarian fantasies um number one but number two i think that um you know part, a big part of the labor movement in earlier stages was a, a large part of it ended up being holding our ruling class accountable 
for their stated ideology. So you say you have liberal rights, you say you want this constitution, whatever. Okay, same rights for everyone, not just for the rich. And we've gone backwards in this pandemic. We have a two-tiered law system, which like literally in the UK, they made an exemption for the quarantine requirements for bankers specifically. It's bullshit. Yeah, well, they're <laughs> like, the most important part of the economy. <laughs> <laughs> it's just because they they complained that um, that they could go to France and not quarantine there because now France you can just go in, you present a negative COVID nineteen test, you're you're in, you're free to go. But the UK they had to so they 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 put down the requirements for the bankers. It's bullshit. Like no one should stand for this stuff. I it's. I know liberal rights are only like they're only useful. They only have some kind of utilitarian purpose for the broader purpose of like class struggle. And so really on their own, they don't really count for much, but they do count for something. And I, you know, in Manchester, um, Alex showed me the Peterloo Memorial where um, people uh, there was like a maybe you can describe this better. Alex. Well, it's. Uh, in 1819 on uh, what used to be called St. Peter's Field in Manchester, which is currently the site of like the uh, Central Exhibition Centre and the, uh, the Midland Hotel, um, there was a mass demonstration of uh, the working class of not just Manchester, but the entire surrounding area reaching up into Lancashire, uh, demonstrated to with the purpose of demanding the right to vote for all um, work for all men, basically without property qualification. And the local uh, authorities responded by unleashing like a drunk cavalry militia on them and killed at least uh, at least 19 of them were killed many hundreds were wounded and it's finally i was involved with a project a couple of years ago to uh make sure that a, a more memorial was constructed um, um memorializing the event because uh the british ruling class didn't really like talking about that for a very long time afterwards so mm-hmm. that that's like a demo it was an early demonstration of where like the the prototypical the proto trade unions came together to demand that the british government live up to uh its liberal pronunciations about uh the rights of freeborn englishmen basically yeah and so people died in that situation to fight for even these limited, like a, a limited form of suffrage, for instance, right? Like it, it wasn't even a full like, and there was women who went there too. There were some women's names on the memorials as well, on the memorial as well, right? Yeah, a lot so, of women got involved with this, and they weren't even their their demands weren't being heard at the time. Exactly. So it's it's not. I don't think it makes any sense for me to just say, well, it's fine. I don't care if my rights are being infringed upon because they don't matter. They're just liberal rights. They do matter. This is part of our history. Like people did fight for them and they are worth defending. Um, And actually, like, whereas I was just going to hike and then I met Alex, too. (laughs) So, I mean, it wasn't like a serious reason. But some people have been kept apart from like their romantic partners and their families for over a year now. Or more, like two years. I was just seeing a little story um, about how a mother was kept apart from her son, a single mom kept apart from her son because she sent him to India to see his grandparents, and she's in Australia, and Australia sealed its borders. So she hadn't seen her son for two years, who was two when he left, and now is four years old. So for half of this child's life, he hadn't seen his mother. It's 
it's not that's not okay <laughs> and that's and the, the same rights that are are being encumbered for my stupid little purpose of just going to do a hike those are the same rights that are being encumbered for this woman who, who, a much more meaningful purpose of seeing her son right uh, being reunited with her son so it's i you know I don't think that um, it's okay to accept a situation where we live in a, a, like in a explicitly two-tiered system of law. We should at least enforce the that the the ruling class um, at least lives up to what it states it it does. And also, I think that as rational beings, everyone here is a rational being. Everyone here is able to assess evidence. Everyone has the right to be convinced and to be shown evidence and to be made a case as to why their rights should be infringed upon. And until the government does that, unless it's like an emergency situa situation, like in month one of the pandemic, we're month like 16 or 17, getting into 16 or 17 at this point, and still no cost benefit analysis has been done by any government in this on this planet about the lockdowns, for instance, or the border restrictions, then you don't have an obligation to accept that infringement. They need to demonstrate that to you. This is just liberalism 101. It's just basic bitch liberalism. So <laughs> anyways, yeah, so this, this whole thing is bullshit anyways, though, because they can't actually reinforce, they don't actually reinforce the type of stuff they do. Like, it's just ideology. It's just fear and it's just coercion. They don't have much else to, 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 to lean on because they're not able or willing or whatever to actually put fire behind their, their threats. Like, at the end of the day, all of this stuff, class domination uh, rests on violence, Right. And so if the violence is a fine, that's the violence in, in, this, in the case of the UK and Canada, and they're not willing to enforce that fine, then really all that it rests on is ideology. And once you cut through the ideology, once you realize that the ruling class is full of retards, then there's nothing left that they can rest on. Anyways, I'm not encouraging anyone to like break laws, but I am encouraging you to fight for your rights. I think everyone should fight for their rights. Yeah, we're we're not encouraging you to go out and uh, and and break laws. We are encouraging you to claim the rights that are yours as uh, as a, as freeborn Englishmen or freeborn Canadians or freeborn yeah. Americans. Although, like uh, to credit to the Ameri to the to most American states, they've mostly dropped the pantomime now. It's just the uh, the corpse of Joe Biden who occasionally mutters COVID, and that's about it. Yeah, listen, like, um, uh. uh, uh it, we are actually like liberalism is correct in saying that all men and women are born equal in terms of dignity and in terms of rights this is actually very true and um i i don't accept otherwise well, it, should Why should you, it should be true but it only is made true if the working class is there to fight for it for that truth yeah. right unfortunately there isn't any working class movement now and whatever representatives of the working class have fallen on the side of reaction now but like, anyways, I just think, I, I, I don't know. I know where I'm going with this, but I, I did want to, if people have questions, if you want to go and take a trip and leave the country and want to ask what the process was like, happy to describe it to you in detail. Uh, and I'll let you know if I do get fined. Uh, yeah, might stay be tuned. Right now. They might prioritize yeah, my that, case. Yeah, I might prioritize. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a Malvi podcaster in, um, in uh, an unspecified location in Canada. We must make an example of her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there, there, you know, I, I landed in Quebec, and Quebec has more of a, a revolutionary, let's say, history in the province of Quebec. 
So I think that's kind of why the Sûreté de Québec didn't want, so the, the police force of Quebec didn't want to reinforce these fines because they probably have like a ton of Frenchies coming in being like, vive le Québec libre. <laughs> Just like being like, fuck <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, we're going to start the, uh, <laughs> the we're going to start the FLQ again unless you let us in. <laughs> Yeah, I was uh, reading an article with this French woman is, uh, who comes from Saint-Hyacinthe, which is um, like a very kind of working class uh, area in Quebec. And she she was like, yeah, I refuse the quarantine hotel. They don't have the right to stop me from entering my country. And they said they would mail me the fine. It's been six weeks. I haven't got the fine. Not surprised. It's my right to enter and leave the country. Anyways, yeah. It's just, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think um, I think like people just need to learn to say no. Um, they need to learn to say no. And it's hard because you're so isolated from anyone else and you don't have, you don't feel like you have any support. Uh, so that is very hard, but I don't know. We need to learn. Like, I think, yeah, I, within a class, it'll be much easier to do that if you're, if you're embedded within a class yeah, it's force. But one of the hard. things that like, um, basic political organizations should do is in, enable people to, make uh, uh the kind of arguments to the authorities that will make like a cop or a bureaucrat think twice about like harassing you so like uh, a lot of cops on so for instance demonstrations and stuff like that will try and say oh you can't go this way you can't go that way uh this is restricted that's restricted or they'll try and lean on you in some way and of course cops actual power um frequently ha only really starts at the point of arrest Yes, so, exactly. for instance, like one of the things you have to learn is that unless they're going to arrest you, and in which case they have to specify why, um, then they really don't have much power um, in certain circumstances. They're, the power actually comes through wearing the uniform, wearing the symbols of the state, and with the mm -hmm. authority that that carries with it. As soon as you, as like an individual, at the, at the very least, know your basic rights and know and are confident enough in arguing with them, like quite a lot of like petty officials and cops can be like thrown off whatever like um, power trip they're on at a particular time. And of course, it helps if you're there in strength and it helps if you're part of an organization that can defend you. But like learning your basic rights and learning how to argue for them is like a a key touchstone of like basic political organization because most of these like certainly the petty bureaucrats don't expect you to know um, what your rights are and don't expect you to be able to argue for them cops don't either cops can just throw a wobbler though and like arrest you for nothing uh, and then try and make it up later but bureaucrats particularly like public health bureaucrats or like some poorly paid temp worker who's on the phone from uh, some contracted out company they're not going to want to deal with somebody who knows what their rights are They'll just more likely give up and like say that they've wrung you and that was it. The thing is also um, the states don't really have a reason to be authoritarian. There's nothing not right to now. fight. Not right now. Exactly. Like and, you know, um, when I used to do activism, uh, one of the things I got that the only probably good part of that whole experience was getting training on how to deal with the police. And mm. something I remember being told to me is like, actually, the police will do everything they can to not arrest you because they don't want to deal with the paperwork. Yeah, okay? they can't be bothered. They can't be. The, the state is so bureaucratized and arthritic at this point, right, that it it, it lacks the reason to be more authoritarian and draconian in a real way like like with actual violence backing it and also it doesn't it 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 it, it doesn't have a good reason to do so wait did i well yeah this <laughs> this is the 
this is the, the discussion we were having about um, when we, we discussed fairly early on when we were doing the show about Trump and January the 6th and like the, the allegations of fascism in the United States. And what we emphasized then, and again, we've been proven completely correct about this, was that the, the U.S. ruling classes might be degenerate it might be, um, you know, screwing everything up. It might be heading for a crisis. But the only the reasons why, like, states turned to uh, fa- different forms of fascism or Bonapartism was because they faced a coherent challenge from the working class internally. Yes. And if they don't have that, then they have no reason to create these, like... Um, uh, create an efficient authoritarian or dictatorial state because if you're not threatening the basis of capitalist property that's not an urgent thing for them yes and because like there's no threat at the moment there is no credible threat from any of this so like all of this like uh, self-generated petty authoritarianism it all just collapses because yes. there's no co- even like the even the so-called like anti-terror laws which are all bullshit and were made up by like Blair and various others like putting more and more severe anti-terror laws in place like most of the time they were used in the last 15 years was to entrap mentally ill people into pretend terrorist acts by security services that just make these things up um now of course they will wheel these out and really use them if the working class presents a coherent challenge but the idea that covid was going to lead to some like um you know mega mega fascism as some people claim no what will happen is it just goes back to the same crap petty uh outsourced state machine that we had before yeah yeah anyways like like i think it's difficult because at this point people are made to be so afraid like because they're so isolated and like all of these scary laws are in like in Canada for instance like they threaten you with a one million dollar fine and jail time of up to six months if they can if you like break quarantine and then they can show that you breaking quarantine has led to the death of someone because you passed on COVID-19 there is literally no way they can actually prove that can in very, a court of That's law. very difficult to prove unless you, like, held someone down and breathed on them <laughs> for, like, an hour. Yeah. So, like, the thing is, the you know what the, the Spain's highest court uh, ruling um, that the past lockdowns in their country is un- unconstitutional? Why, why do you think they had to do that? The reason is because capitalism actually still needs liberalism. They still need this, this regime of rights to function. You actually, they actually absolutely still need things like freedom of movement um, for workers, right? They need all those oh, yeah. things. So they're going to back it up in the end. And yeah, so a, when a lot of the incur- um, infringements you're seeing is um, just for show. It's to scare people because they actually can't have a situation like, you know, people claim China is where people are like, surveil draconically and like you capitalism actually does need some measure of freedom the two things that capitalism can never take away from people because it it needs it is number one the ability to buy whatever you want so they can't like plan out consumer consumption and number two the ability to leave your job if you want to leave your job right so yes these free these are freedoms quote-unquote you know, their, their freedom and their unfreedom at the same time. But they can't take those away from you because they can't plan out their economy and they can't um, um, and and they can't they, they, they need a wage labor, part of which is the ability to let people go or take more people in as part of 
the competitive uh, imperatives of, of capitalism. So, so you we can't just go back into a situation of complete unfreedom. Okay, so I think people need to like. I think this is very. It's very. Um, and like there's a material basis for this, like a lack of class organization. That's where the fear, the fear comes from. But I think having so much fear is not healthy. And I think it's it's really too bad that like a lot of right wing people have and left wing people really have like um, encouraged this fear amongst people like you have no like like I, I think it's one thing to be afraid. You need to be rational about what you're afraid of, I think. And like understand the situation, like being scared of things like vaccine passports, that will never happen. Nowhere. It's not going to happen. Don't worry about it. So you need to assess things and do an analysis and understand, you know, what is it I need to be grappling with? What is it I not I do not need to be grappling with? And there's always some risk because on the fringes, these laws will result in some people getting um, having their rights horribly uh, assaulted. Like so. Some innocent, ter- like quote unquote, terrorists were arrested for years on end, imprisoned. But that's not the majority of cases. The majority of of times, it will not end up being that way. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's difficult to be bold. It's difficult to like take even that small risk when you don't have a class backing you up. So, it's really too bad. But um, yeah. Anyways, maybe on a lighter note. Um, well, <laughs> I'd like to begin the next segment of the show with a song. Will you indulge me? Okay. I okay. will. So, okay, I'm going to have to clear my throat first. <laughs> <laughs> it's coming home. It's coming home. It's actually it's gone to Rome. Um, that, that was meant to be concluding with uh, football's coming home, but it, it, it really hasn't. It's actually it, the um, Italians have got I, it. I'm going to say actually um, to hark back to our first segment that that was a bit of an abuse of my rights to hear well, you say. Well. I, I maintain that um, art is to be judged in a subjective fashion, and my karaoke version of a 25-year-old song by Frank Skinner and David Baddiel and uh, Lightning Seeds was artistically valid. Okay, um, I'll, I'll give you a pass, Alex, because I know I was in the UK when the soccer tournament was going on, the Euro, Euro Cup? Euro Euro uh, European Euro Championships. Okay. <laughs> this is where this is where like uh, we get the clash of cultures because of course like Canada doesn't have soccer. Yeah. Well, we also have a clash of uh, of uh, gender as well to deal yeah, with here. So like, it's, this it, is, it's difficult. We need to make bridges. Uh, Layla was briefly subjected to football fever. Yeah, man. Uh, it's it's real. It's real. The British people are serious about football. <laughs> Very serious. You you saw the state of uh, Manchester when uh, England actually won a game. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, I, maybe we should, we should have a show on on British drinking culture and maybe critique that a little bit. <laughs> well, I'm not just doing a show where like I get drunk and you comment on it. Mm, yeah, we already had that show. <laughs> <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't put it out though. Um, but yeah, um, I was I learned about how important. Um, Euro, the Euro Cup was Euro Championships. Well, it's any any national um, like uh, championship that any or international championship that the English football team is involved in. Yeah. Immediately, uh, we go to uh, I would say um, hysterical <laughs> levels of um, involvement in this, and hysterical levels of emotional buy-in. Okay, but 
actually, I did watch the final game. It was pretty fun. Sorry, um, my apology, my uh, my condolences for you losing. Um, oh well, we'll we, yeah. we we'll get over it. I mean, yeah, a, a lot of people were whinging about it, but let's face facts. Like, I've watched every. Um, England tournament it's every tournament England's qualified for since like 1996 and um a lot of a lot of it has been just the most boring, awful shit you could imagine, and they went out very early on. At least they reached the final this time. So let's just let's just enjoy that brief moment of triumph. Yeah, I, I, but um, I, I've actually football has uh, UK football culture has um, since then captured my imagination because I'm seeing a lot of people talk about how it's way more than just playing a game with the ball, um, which I thought watching the final it seemed like that was mostly what it was about. But it was actually like different assets. It's like very um, intersectional. There's like race. <laughs> <laughs> like apparently the the football uh, manager for the England football team is is woke, very woke. Yeah, um, yeah. Apparently and that's so. why you guys lost. Apparently, so you couldn't beat uh, um, Italian, <laughs> the Italian fascists. <laughs> yeah, the Italians were the uh, apparently uh, a strong team of uh, uh, direct descendants of Mussolini or something. Yeah, so it's uh, it's kind of first as well. England, uh, the UK beat the fascists in World War Two, but um, twenty twenty one they couldn't even beat them in a soccer game, which is like a mini version of war. You sound yeah, like- it, it, it's war, but you know, considerably less fun. Um, yeah, so I was interested in reading about the uh, the fact that um, your Gareth Southgate, who's the manager, is somewhat of a public intellectual when it comes to uh, well, race. <laughs> well, when it, I mean, if you're talking to public intellectuals in this country, um, I think I think yeah, he would qualify purely on the basis that like mm-hmm. the rest of our public intellectuals look like you know Richard Dawkins. Uh, the lunatic biologist who um, uh, spent the previous decade as a sort of celebrity new atheist and eugenicist. Yeah, well, I think his thing um, is not those things. He's trying to renew a sense of um, English patriotism, but without the bad parts. Oh, good. So, <laughs> just the good parts. So in his essay entitled uh, Dear England, which he published, uh, I guess, a few weeks ago now, before the final game, he says... Um, he noted that his own grandfather was a fierce patriot and a proud military man who served during World War II. He stressed his own pride. Everybody's grandfather served during World War II. It was conscription. Oh. You know? <laughs> like, mine did. It's not a big boast. Like, if you were born, like, from, like, the 70s, probably through to the late 80s, chances are, like, your grandfather's served in the war. So, not a big boast. Okay, well, what about this part? He stressed his own pride in queen and country. Ugh. <laughs> but then, Alex, but then he added, on this island, we have a desire to protect our values and traditions, as we should. Which are? But... Can anybody should... name what... Can anybody tell me what these are? I've been told for years by various government officials that we, we must defend British values. I'm not even sure what these are. I thought that the values were football riots and drinking. Which are very important. That is a true. That is a true British value. <laughs> judging from my trip, <laughs> um, also making fun of the way I pronounce things, like pronounce that. Seems well, to be that a that was those habit. dreadful. That was those dreadful Scottish people who we shall not speak of. Yeah, one of them stole my wallet. Just so much racism. Yeah, against Canadians. Glaswegian criminals. What a surprise. 
but he says that the values and traditions uh, shouldn't come at the expense of introspection and progress. And so by that, he, also, he means progress on race relations. Um, so he says um, it's the duty of the team, the England team, to continue to interact with the public on matters such as equality, inclusivity, and racial, <laughs> and racial injustice. Um, and it seems like it's actually been kind of a contentious thing since then. Like people are talking about it uh, a lot. Um, it seemed that the team was pretty diverse, um, the English oh, team. Oh, yeah. Like English teams have been fairly diverse for quite a while now because there's always been like well not always but like since the 70s uh there's been quite an increasing number of uh non-white players mainly uh black caribbeans uh or descendants of black caribbeans breaking into the team um that's you know and that's uh so it's been something which has been in place for quite a long time now yeah these you these players did in the earlier days, like in the 80s, like get faced with, there was a strong like reactionary presence in like football fandom, much more than there is now. Like when the the National Front was um, a big thing here. Yeah, you used to get a lot of racism towards them, but credit where credit's due, and this is me being a bit more serious now, a lot of that did get stamped out by like um, actual fan-based working class groups chucking these characters out of the stadiums and forcing them out and that deserves credit and deserves to be remembered um one of the reasons i get somewhat wound up by like these sort of corporate sponsored sort of anti-racist initiatives is that what it ends up being is like a way for middle class people to feel good about themselves and also like a way of papering over the fact that uh, football is actually awash with blood money um, from some very very brutal uh, bastards and has been for quite a long time and like one of the reasons I got wound up by like the the whole taking the knee thing was because like first of all like okay so wait wait it, wait 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 so the English team took the knee for BLM right Black Lives Matter yeah this started okay. like midpoint of last year right and the my objection to it is like my objection to a lot that gets done here that gets imported from the United States which is that like yeah God knows the British police of course uh you know a bunch of like frothing reactionaries who else would be a police officer you know um but we're quite why um we um there is this repeated need on behalf of like the the left petty bourgeoisie to import uh, racial politics from the united states when there is a a completely different history in this country not that there hasn't been racism but like it's like stuff from like 5,000 miles away in Minneapolis doesn't have much relevance for what goes on here. Like, Are you telling me, Alex, that the UK didn't have cotton plantations on the island, like in Wales or something? Um, as far as I'm aware, um, we didn't have like a deep south type arrangement in this country. Now, it's true that, of course, British the British ruling class indulged in slavery and profited from it enormously. Of course they did. Oh, yeah. But like... I love that stuff. And they, they, they mainly got out of it to stiff the French as well. And they, That's right. Of course, That's right. The, yes. Yeah. They tried to also encourage uh, the independence of the Confederacy also for deeply cynical reasons so that they could split up the United States and eliminate a rival. Now, all of that's true. Now, but, like, the this whole, like, uh, take the knee stuff was just immediately adopted by all the corporate interests involved in football. Now, bear in mind, 
look at some of the people that actually own football clubs in this country. You have guys like Roman Abramovich, who made his money like ripping off the Russian working class in the 90s, and like in a period where like uh, there were millions of people who were like reduced to poverty and, and in some cases premature death in Russia because of guys like that. You've got yeah, but at like, least at least they still had their white privilege though. Oh yeah, but they were, are Russians white? I'm not sure. Where's can someone call? We need a, um, we need a critical race theorist. Hannah to Jones in on this or Ibrahim Kendi to work this out. Um, or, or you have guys like who own Manchester City, who are like the the leaders of the United Arab Emirates, who are a part of a blockading the nation of Yemen right now, starving them to death. Or you ha- or who are dependent? Or the next World Cup is going to be in Qatar. Who are funding like uh, um, head chopping reactionaries in Syria, killing a lot of people, and whose economy is dependent upon indentured labour, most of whom are from the um, the Indian subcontinent. So this whole thing is just a giant exercise in middle class hypocrisy and corporate sponsorship. And the idea that this is going to be some kind of like it's a force for justice. No, it's a force for making money which is what the game is now. And, you know, I, I watch the sport and I enjoy it, but I like the idea that this is some force for social justice is something that only somebody as stupid as someone who either writes or reads The New Statesman could believe in. Um, well, it seems like one of the players, though, Alex, Rush Ford, um, has gotten a bunch of racist stuff on his mural. And then Boris, Boris comes in on this. Oh, good. Our best friend. And he promises a ban on people guilty of sending racist abuse to footballers from attending matches. So if you if you like if you're racist against a footballer, you can't go see the football. So that's like pretty mean. That's a pretty harsh punishment. Uh, Boris is well, really putting his foot down. He's really putting his foot down. And, and uh, much like our previous conversation about COVID, this will mean nothing because <laughs> it's just it's just um, like the prime minister making something up as he goes along, as he always does. I mean, he's got into this place where there's this ridiculous confrontation over over like racism between Keir Starmer, who, by the way. Just so we know who he, this guy is, Keir Starmer is an enthusiastic supporter of the Israeli government. Think maybe they're a little bit racist towards certain people? As is Boris, by the way. Boris, maybe not as enthusiastic. He just likes the arms sales to anybody. And these guys are the ones who are, you know, standing up against racism. It's a show. It's theatrics. And also, by the way, like, the, the idea that, like, the... the um, you know, a, a bunch of anonymous wankers sending abuse over Twitter, which, by the way, is just you know, re, you know, stupid, retarded stuff, um, yeah. is some kind of like throwback to the period where the National Front used to stand on the terraces giving it the Zeke Heil. Because uh, that did happen, and thankfully was pushed out by other working class fans, by the way. Oh, really? Not by the government, yeah. Not by the government yeah. and not by like the football authorities. It was other working class people who pushed that out of the game. Then the government later came in with like football banning orders and stuff like that, which was all part of like a grand sweep of jacking up the prices of the higher levels of the game and actually pricing out the very working class people who did the harder work of pushing the Nazis out in the first place. Yeah, I don't obviously I don't think racist abuse is okay. But I also think it's really dumb and annoying for like the ruling class of of the of Britain. <laughs> of Britain. But who by the way, like 
What did our empire consist of? By the way, oh, and also, let's let's just tackle these fucking footballers here for a second. Because, like, I, I think Mar- Marcus Rashford is obviously a decent, well-meaning guy. But, like... For this bunch to you know take the knee against racism, it's like who the f- and they a lot of them got given like will be given like orders of the British Empire OBEs. Well, who the fuck do you think the British Empire shat on for three hundred years? Yeah, you know who were most of them? Well, yeah, it has the word empire in it. It's a bit of a clue. Who do you think? Um, what do you think the British Empire was based on? Hey, Marcus, have you thought about that? Have any has anybody thought about that? Has anybody thought about like how these politicians who still run, by the way, British imperialism are now embracing all these footballers and saying, Oh, well done, old boy. Good job. You know, I don't like racism <laughs> either. I, I when I when I did that whole thing where I blacked up and eaten, it was just a joke. Just just larks. I've always been a big fan of like African <laughs> leaders with a bit of cash. Um yeah, let's get and, yeah, take the take to become a member of the British Empire. That's literally what one of these awards that they give these moron footballers like uh says to them. You become a member of the British Empire. Like it's I just mean, it's gibberish. Yeah. It's nonsense. I believe the ruling class doesn't like racism. I believe that. Oh, I, I believe but, I, I, I mean, believe that Boris it doesn't mean doesn't discriminate it or whatever. Yeah, exactly. But it doesn't mean like I don't know. It doesn't mean um i i don't really see uh disparities through the lens of race obviously because it's fake but um, well listen to our crt episode for more yeah yeah but um it is a little hypocritical to decry racism while also leading to the suffering and death of millions of you know quote-unquote people of color it seems a bit of a contradiction but capitalism is nothing but contradiction (laughs) Capitalism is nothing but contradiction. And, uh, I, I, have, I believe I, firmly that uh, Boris and Keir Starmer are very keen on anybody who's got the money to come here. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I, it has been a little dumb, though, seeing all the right-wing people, like uh, oh, our that, favorite. Oh, yeah, let's, let's deal with them. Uh, oh, yeah. Paul, well, Paul Joseph Watson is a man One who has to One of your countrymen. Whistle, oh, God knows. A disgrace to the English North North because he's a moron. And he's from Yorkshire. They're all, they're all weird over there. But, like... The, the right-wing objection, like this, that, oh, they lost the game because they were too woke. No, they lost the game because the Italians played better. There you go. Yeah. It's quite simple. And by the way, like this team, has, to be in fairness, is much more talented and has done much better than any of the previous teams going back to like a quarter of a century ago. And like this, so you get all these right-wing mouth breathers going like, oh, they got too woke. They're weak. That's why they lost. It's like... No, these people, like, Paul Joseph Watson is a moron. He's the kind of guy who probably has to whistle before he takes a shit to make sure he's got the right end on the toilet. He's an idiot. Um, All the right-wing people in this country are unserious idiots. And, like, as for my friend, Paul Joseph Watson is as stupid as Paul Mason. The two two Pauls deserve each other. Yeah, I mean, I just think a lot of this stuff... Oops. uh, A lot of this stuff is... uh, like Black Lives Matter is also racist, by the way. Like it, it's just like this bourgeois discussion about "quote unquote" race, and just reifies like this artificial divi- division out of which prejudices arise. Like it doesn't solve anything at all. Of, of course, it wouldn't. So it's just like this. Like I don't know. It's weird. It's, it's weird fe- to it's see it melded theatrics. with like. It is, and it's weird to see it melded with football. 
in a, in such a serious way. Well, like it's, it's not like the a, first time. Like football's right, okay. always it's always like national big national sporting events of any kind, but particularly football in like a very football crazy nation. Politicians will always try and attach themselves to it in a, like in a more serious fashion. Like um, the uh, dictatorships in like South America, where football is massive, are, are always very keen to associate themselves with a successful national team. For instance, I mean, there were, many people will say that like the Argentine military hunter bought itself a couple more years when Argentina won the World Cup in 78 for instance yeah well okay Alex I think that you guys played really well I thought it was a good game I, it's actually the first game I watched from end and start to finish um, yeah well, I hope yeah. I hope that the uh, my countrymen with, appreciate with this place. There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know why at the end the players are taking off their their silver medals as soon as. Well, they I cr- I credit that them for that because you should never be a you should never you should never be a good loser. Uh, you should hate oh, losing. Such a male hate coming attitude. Second. It's not That's a lost. It's second place, which is better no, than third place. They did lose. Right? They lost the game. <laughs> they lost the game because it's the Italians played better than the Italians outmuscled them, basically. And Anyways, if you want to hear just, my analysis on this, I will be doing a four-hour Patreon no. patrons-only stream. Okay, well, you can I'm do joking. it yourself. I don't want to hear my analysis. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I think you guys did well. I'm, I was cheering you on from my uh, from Glasgow. We get uh, some. We got some like uh, Commonwealth loyalty, which, by the way, uh, loyalty we don't deserve. Uh, yeah, the I, I, the the degree of anti-Canadian racism I, I experienced in, in Scotland, especially. Yeah. Is Don't do not negative. Canadian lives matter, Nicola Sturgeon. <laughs> Just because I can't pronounce these Gaelic, why are you going to spell a city name and pronounce it differently? Why are you going to do that? Just spell it the way you pronounce it. It doesn't make any sense. And then you make fun of me and you laugh at me. It's not very nice. I'm just well, kidding. The Scots were very nice. They're very friendly. Everyone in the UK was really friendly outside of London. It's the only yeah, place. Well, yeah, that's, that, that place. Look, there most of our problem. We've got all these problems with the Americans at the moment over this fucking trade deal. Just give them London. Like, it's the only yeah. place in the country. It's the only yeah. place in the country the Americans like going to anyway. So, America, <laughs> if you're listening, um, American listeners, if you're out there, you can have London. Come over here, dig it up, tow it over there. I don't care. Or we'll just make it part of the U.S. We don't care. You can have it. And then then we can sort this trade deal out between Dementia Joe and Boris. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, interestingly, probably the reason why there's still a ban from U.K. flight, like, of of U.K. travelers to the U.S. They're trying to work out some kind of trade deal. They're like, "Mm, we can't figure out a travel corridor just yet because of COVID. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course it's that. Of course, it's COVID. Anyways, it's not COVID. It's all bullshit from start to finish. Um, but yeah, well, thanks, Alex. Thanks again for talking to us about sports. Better well, than Well, anytime. I will, um, <laughs> as at, at a certain point, like uh, uh, you will be, you you will be won over to the English sporting life. I can see myself getting into soccer to to, to football. Sorry, trying to. Yeah, yeah. Don't not, <laughs> leave the Americanisms behind. Thank you. <laughs> I have seen a lot of British women um, on Twitter, at least, like really get into it all of a sudden. Um, yeah, and I'm well, like, this is I've... a good way of like making friends, male friends especially. You know? Oh like, yeah, because pretending you the... like sports as a woman. Yeah. <laughs> 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 it's, it's a great conversation starter. Oh, like, it's the it's the <laughs> see, one. Yeah, I just thing... got you to talk about this for like 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's the one thing that like if you're a, if you're a guy in a new social setting. 
uh, it's the fallback option if you want to avoid everything else you can just talk about football but if you and then when you if you meet some weirdo who's not into it then you're really sunk yeah this is the way this is what men want i i think we got it yeah this is part <laughs> we've partially answered the question I think we've gone a, a long way there in this um, in this podcast. Anyways, yeah, exactly. Um, anything else to say, Alex, about uh, travel restrictions or the soccer game? Well, this I, I is like this is a bit more of a lightweight episode, but undergraded with serious discussions of liberal rights and race. Serious discussions theory. of liberal rights and you know uh, the capitalist embrace of anti-racism. Yeah, so some sometimes it's uh, that's I mean a lot of what happens in our society is farcical. You still have to deal with it. Yeah, right. exactly. And um, we're, we're, we're here to comment on it. Um, should we... Uh, we had two other things we were going to cover. Should we do that or we've got an hour and 15 already? Should we leave it there? I think we should leave it, yeah. Sorry okay. the fr- uh, well, I mean, do you want to cut out... We can cut the first part a lot and then it probably like went on for too long. Up to you. What do you think? No, actually, let's leave it as it is. I think uh, the two of us just ranting for an hour and 15 minutes is entertaining in itself. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Anyways, the the, the audience will love it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we'll do more on Cuba another time. Yeah, yeah, we should say that. Okay. All right. Well, um, thanks for listening, everyone. Stay safe. Um, thanks for listening. Stay safe and remember um, that capitalist governments these days are just basically a Potemkin village. Yeah, and don't be afraid for to like own and stand for your birthright, okay, which is yes. liberal rights. Sorry. And That's the best we like, have right if, now. <laughs> If you'd like to get lessons on standing up as a freeborn Englishman, please uh, contact us on the Patreon page. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll give you some tips, some tips and tricks. We'll give you some pointers on how to uh, c- claim your Canadian or uh, British rights. Yeah, I will give you some pointers. Uh, yes, but, we will. But the first part, the first, the first step is just learning to say no. And, you know, just, just saying no. Just say no to drugs. Just, say no to capitalist no. authoritarianism. Just, just say, say no. no to the drug of uh, late capitalist decay. Yeah, you know, the thing is, when when I just said no to the quarantine hotels, um, they were pretty taken aback because I don't think they have a lot of, like, they don't have a ton of people saying no, so they don't know how to deal with it. And I think that goes for a lot of uh, enforcement. Anyways, we've talked about this. See you next time. Um, oh, actually, I wanted to mention, Alex, uh, maybe we should have said it at the beginning, but we are launching a film society. So if you want yes, to Yes, we it, are. If yeah. you've not seen that so far, uh, we decided because of, uh, you know, uh, the cultural life is an important part of uh, any anyone's life, really. And we thought that uh, the the great public out there might enjoy uh, watching along films with us and uh, hearing us discuss them. So we're going to be launching a film society at the beginning of August. And uh, the first one is going to be us watching. And then we're going to do a discussion on the 1994 Oliver Stone movie Nixon starring Anthony Hopkins in what I personally think is probably a career best performance so if you're interested in that be sure to head over to our patreon page and sign up for the new politburo tier that we've just launched on there yeah so this is a good one because alex is actually a big film buff um so it'll be he has a lot to say about film (laughs) yeah uh, maybe even i'll call it cinema who knows (laughs) 
Yeah, and uh, I am I am someone who would like to learn more about film, so it's a good pairing, I think. Yeah, and if you'd like to hear our various different theories on the intersection of reality and fantasy in the films of Oliver Stone, then be sure to join us for the first episode. Yeah, I think I'm going to spend most of my time rating the attractiveness of different actors in the films, but I'm sure I'll say other things as well. I'm just kidding. This is, well, I won't do that. I won't do that. Not a lot of luck in the movie Nixon, I don't think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're going to pick a hotter cast for next time for, for me. So that's the women's pick. <laughs> I'm just kidding. This is this so is bad good. and sexist. The women are not like this. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is a parody. All right. All right. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.